Now you can support No Rest of the Weekend by clicking the link in the description. Your donation will help us create more great content each week. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thank you so much for your support. Hello and welcome to No Rest for the Weekend. I'm Jason Godby and we're here at the AMC Magic Johnson Theater in New York City for the 18th edition of the Harlem International Film Festival. We have two world premieres tonight, the world premiere of the film In the Weeds and the second season of the Star series, Run the World. We'll be back with interviews from the red carpet right after this. No Rest for the Weekend's coverage of the Harlem International Film Festival is sponsored by JMR Rentals. Professional digital cinema and broadcast equipment rentals in Brooklyn, New York. JMRNY.com I'm here with Ryan Fenson-Hood and Bill Mack from the obituary of Jasper James. How does it feel to be here in Harlem tonight? It feels amazing because Bill goes back a couple generations in Harlem. His dad's from Harlem. And our movie is such a New York story. And to be able to premiere New York in Harlem with this film is like, we're so grateful that we're here and we get to show this to the New York audience. And tell us a bit about the film. It's almost like a fairy tale. Uh, it's, it's got a very sort of depressing title. It might seem like it's a, a you know, melancholic movie, but it's actually a comedy. Basically, we have a, a poet who's living in New York City and he's a starving artist. And he's having a hard time making rent, which everybody can relate to. And he gets evicted. And what does he do when he gets evicted? He does something totally creative and unexpected. He goes and he moves into a cemetery across the river. There's a mausoleum there that he has access to. And it's like the ultimate artist squat. Like, you couldn't get a crazier squat than this mausoleum. So he's living in the mausoleum. And there he kind of finds himself. And it's a story about rebirth. He's he had lost his father. That's, that's actually how he learned about this place in the cemetery was because of going to the funeral. And so in the cemetery, he kind of comes to peace with himself. He spends time in nature. The city is right there, but he can see it, but he doesn't have to be in the middle of it. And for me, that's kind of a personal thing because I'm from Colorado. I grew up in the Rockies and I lived a long time in New York City and always trying to reconcile the kind of town and country, the kind of city versus nature problem. And in this movie, we reconcile it. He finds nature in the city the least expected place in the cemetery. And then because he's there and he's turned over a new leaf, it's kind of like the karma and the stars align and he finally finds love. And this woman, Tatiana, comes out to visit him and they end up running away together. And so it's, it's, a, it's a romantic comedy, it's a love story. and uh, Set in a cemetery. Set in a cemetery. <laughs> so it's a, it's a great way for New Yorkers to find a place with quiet neighbors. Yeah, de definitely. The quietest neighbors, that's true. Yeah. And, you know, we all know as New Yorkers how difficult it can be to pay rent, right? And how little space you get for what you do pay. So this is like a squatter, tenant squatter's dream. What did you want to convey with the film and what do you want audiences to walk away with? It's lighthearted. It's optimistic. And I think a lot of times the movies that are put out have a really sort of criminal or negative slant to them. And ours doesn't. It's just super... Yeah, I mean, there's, there's like melancholic moments, but it's generally upbeat and uh, just you should, walk, you should leave the movie happy, happier than when you walked in. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely in the life-affirming category. And it's also a, a movie that makes you kind of fall in love with cinema all over again because there are a lot of long scenes where there's no dialogue and you see 
things resolving and coming into place visually, and and you see, and you kind of like it reminds you of, of kind of a lot of European cinema, and so yeah, walk away with life affirming story and creativity also because the character does something so unusual. Fantastic guys, so if we want to know more about the film, where can we find you and the film online? So our website, cinematic.com, C-I-N-O-M-A-D-I-C.com. It's like with nomad in the middle. It's a play on the word cinematic, but cinomatic because we travel and shoot a lot. I'm here with N.C. Hyken, the director of Life and Life. Uh, how do you feel to be here in Harlem tonight? I'm thrilled. I can't wait to show my film to this audience. I know they're going to love it. Tell us about the movie. The movie traces the story of a very extraordinary man who spent 35 years in San Quentin prison uh, for a murder he did commit. It's not an exoneration film, but it is about redemption and... Uh, and the prison system, and one man who fought against it and is also a musician. So the entire story is played with wonderful music. Um, and actually, we just cover a lot of territory, what it takes to get out and what it takes to survive on the outside. What do you feel like audiences will walk away with when they see the film? I think they'll walk away with wanting to do something about parole reform and supporting uh, returning citizens when they get out of prison, especially after very long sentences, which we specialize in in the United States of America. Um, and I think they'll be, they'll want to support arts in the prisons. A lot of stuff. Where can we find you and the film online? My website is lifelifefilm.com. And the film is available to rent on Hulu, Apple TV, uh, video, Prime Video, just everywhere. So you can see it if you couldn't make it here for the big screen. I'm here with Ana Siciliano and Marina Sagona from Stabat Matter. Welcome, guys. How's it feel to be in Harlem here tonight? Beautiful. We love it. We love Harlem. So tell me about the film. The film is a short experimental film about motherhood and womanhood, separation and loss but also empowerment. And it's, um, it was shot 17 years ago when she was four. And I just found this footage that I did shoot 17 years ago and I stole it to myself, basically. What's the film about? Like, is it just a doc documentary of her life or? It's very abstract. There's a beautiful music by Pergolesi, uh, which is a sacred music. It's the first movement of this Stabat Mater um, um, component and it's about you know the music is sacred it's about Mary mother of Jesus standing at the cross I felt like I uh, related to her a lot it resonated very much um, because I was about to separate and she was four but she had been very ill it's very autobiographical as well so, Anna, you're the subject of this film. Um, how does it feel to see yourself in it and see, see it with a bunch of people in a big theater? Um, it feels pretty crazy. It's really cool. It's very fun. I always enjoy, I've always been looking at my mom's art 
since I was born and I get the immense pleasure of usually being the first to see it. And it's always awesome seeing what your mom's been creating at home super hard and then, you know, seeing everybody else's reactions to it and it on the big screen. It's beautiful and I'm so happy to be a part of it. What do you want the impact of the film to be? To think and um, to feel that you're not alone, that uh, we are all one and we share the same experience and the same uh, crosses, the same cross in life. So there are good people out there and, and we're all one. For people who want to uh, find you guys, where can they find your work online? It's marinasagona.com. I'm here with the director of Last May in Palestine, Rabia Eid. Rabia, how does it feel to be here in Harlem? I'm very delighted to be here today. It's like my first time in New York, and uh, I'm very excited to screen my film uh, in Harlem International Film Festival. And for me as uh, uh, emerging director, this is my first film. Uh, it's a short documentary, and it's a pleasure to be in uh, a festival like Harlem F International Film Festival. Tell us a bit about the film. What happens? It's a short documentary. It's a personal story uh, that I uh, uh, talk about uh, the events in Palestine in May 2021, when there was an uprising. And the story talks about me as a journalist covering these uh, events and the dangerous events that happen in Haifa City. I open my personal archive from these events and ask questions, especially after the assassination of the Palestinian journalist Shirin Abu Akli, who was killed by the Israeli army. And I reveal uh, places uh, in Haifa City and show what happened uh, at uh, that time in Palestine. What do you want people to kind of walk away with after they see this film? Well, I want to show how it to be a journalist in Palestine. Usually, like in other places, uh, journalists like go and work uh, very normally. Uh, in, in Palestine, we have different uh, uh, difficulties that we suffer and face uh, in every uh, everyday life uh, uh, basics. And uh, there is also important to hear the personal story, not just numbers and facts, because personal story gives uh, other uh, perspective uh, and another uh, gives another layers to what we hear usually from the news, especially like the mainstream media doesn't like uh, give uh, uh, the exact things that happening in, in Palestine. For people who want to know more, where can they find you and your work online? Uh, my work can be found on Instagram. I have an official page for the film. It's called Last May in Palestine. You can look at it and also you can find my personal account. I also post uh, uh, a lot of things about my work as a journalist from different places. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm here with Lenora Zazenli Helm, the composer for The Problem of the Hero. Lenora, how does it feel to be here in Harlem tonight? It feels amazing. I spent a lot of time here in my, in my life as a musician, uh, so being here is like a returning home. 
uh, it's a thrill. I'm really honored to be here, part of Problem of the Hero. So uh, tell us a bit about the film. Well, the film is um, an exploration of two literary giants from the 20th century, Paul Green, who's a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, and Richard Wright, the author of Native Song, among other books. And they had a relationship putting together a broad, an adaptation of Native Son as a Broadway play. And it, it, it explores the tensions between Paul Green and Richard Wright over pretty much a single page of the script. It's a really powerful example of the tensions that happened during that time. It was based in 1941. It's a period film. Uh, but it's really extraordinary, powerful work by Jay Marjris, uh, who plays Richard Wright, and David Zumbrunnen, who plays um, Paul Green. And I'm thrilled to be one of the composers for uh, the film. Can you tell us about how you approached the project and what drew you to it? Uh, what drew me to it is Richard Wright. I actually didn't know uh, as much about Paul Green as I did when I started. Native Son was required reading uh, where I grew up in Chicago. So Native Richard Wright's work was um, a, a tender opportunity for me to bring something to the music. I'm a jazz musician. And uh, the producer, David Zumbrennan, and, and, and the authors, they wanted, and the writers, uh, playwright, they wanted to bring uh, a jazz feel to it, especially for 1941. So it was really um, a privilege to be able to work with such a powerful cast. Uh, it's really great work uh, of the actors. But I wanted to bring a sensibility as a woman. There aren't many women, African-American composers in film. And I wanted to bring the sensibility and perspective to, to the work. Fantastic. So for people who want to know more about the film and about you, where can they find you online? Problem of the Hero, there's a, a beautiful website that gives you all the all of the information about the film, the producers, the directors, the whole team. It's really an ensemble work. Um, and my website is lenorahelm.com. Uh, and you'll find all about my work in my upcoming album for July 2023. I'm here with Diane Orr and Marsha Charles from Sea Squirts, A Cautionary Tale. How does it feel to be here tonight? It feels wonderful, actually, because the film uh, is really about the neighborhood. It's about the neighborhood a few blocks away up here at the Hudson River. So uh, I feel very proud, though, to be invited to this neighborhood because the kids who are portrayed in the film, I think, um, will be a good role model for other young people watching it. It's a short documentary about a group of young people uh, from eighth grade who came from Brooklyn one summer and uh, experienced summer camp on Governor's Island for two weeks and explored all the activities that the kids on Governor's Island at the New York Harbor High School, which most people don't know exists, uh, go through for four years. And what they did was to culminate in the farming of oysters themselves, uh, which is part of the Billion Oyster Project. And the Billion Oyster Project is meant to farm oysters in the Hudson River to clean it out over the next 20 years. What do you want audiences to walk away with after they see this movie? That there's hope that we can clean up our universe for sure, but also that um, even myself included, oysters were a foreign beast and in the in the film you'll see uh, two interviews with young people who actually 
realize that oysters are not something that are foreign and monster-like, but actually very approachable and edible. Uh, not in the film, of course, but we do get them to eat um, from the Long Island Sound. It was brought into the film, and a chef actually introduces them to fresh tuna from the Long Island Sound, as well as hamburgers and hot dogs. So it was a great <laughs> film. I'm here with Jonathan Villanueva and Mark Heinold from Love Song. Welcome, guys. How's it feel to be in Harlem tonight? Amazing. I'm excited. We are so excited and so honored to be part of the Harlem Film Festival. So tell me a little bit uh, about the movie. Love Song is about a couple in a relationship where one deludes to believing everything is great, they're fine, they're in love, and the other, she believes that she loses herself. She loses the essence of who she is. One of the things we really liked about the script was it, it brings in an aspect of mental health, a little narcissism, and I think anybody who watches this can relate to either one, either Adam or Lexi, what the, the lead characters in the film. So what kind of message do you think people will walk away with when they see the film? They'll get a little bit of therapy is okay. Relationships need communication, um, and sometimes people aren't on the same plane. The main reason I supported this, besides loving the script, and we see it as a feature, that's going to be our goal, is, uh, and I'll paraphrase something John Leguizamo said recently, is Latinos make up 20% of the population, and it's up to us, not just stop admiring the problem and be part of the change, and that's why I wanted to be executive producer and support this. Fantastic, and where can we find you guys and your work online? You can find me on Instagram, you can find me, uh, find Love Song on YouTube, um, and the premiere here at Harlem Film Festival. <laughs> I'm here with director Ivan Rome and Baymez from TikTok Challenge. Welcome, guys. How does it feel to be in Harlem tonight? Feels great to be in Harlem. Amazing. Absolutely grateful. Yeah. yeah. So grateful. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the film. So the film is a family comedy, a short family comedy, about a grandmother and a grandson coming together through making a TikTok video. Yeah, it's featuring wonderful music uh, and the, the song featured is by by Mads. What do you guys feel like the central message of the movie is or what do you want people to walk away with? The central message in the movie is you know like we want them to walk away feeling connection to the people that they sometimes take for granted in their lives and remembering that you know we may get older but our dreams and, and what we want to do it never dies in us. I want, to, want people to come together and miss miss their loved ones and want to connect with the, the people that they love. And by Maz, it's your song. Where, what was the inspiration for the tune? Oh my goodness, the inspiration was freedom. I think a lot of the music that I create is about freedom and I think the inspiration came from just grabbing somebody you love, whether it is a lover or a family member and just flying, being free, whatever that looks like in spirit, physically, emotionally. For those who want to know more, where can they find you online? I'm on Instagram at iRoam underscore 22. And I'm on Instagram and Spotify at B as in boy, Y-M-A-D-D-Z. That is by Mads. I'm here with Dougie Doug and Clayton Alice, the co-directors of In the Weeds. How does it feel to be here in Harlem, guys? Feels great. Feels wonderful, great. wonderful. We love it here. Our favorite place, actually. <laughs> exactly. Tell me a bit about the film. Well, the film is called In the Weeds. It's a film that was shot during the height of the pandemic, and it focuses on a father that's looking for his daughter and a daughter who's looking for love. And uh, he's trying to track her down, doesn't know where she is, and we find out 
through the course of the film why. Where, where she's at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what was the inspiration for the film? COVID was sort of the inspiration in that Doug and I were stuck in our houses and bored out of our minds and talking to each other. And uh, we thought, well, maybe we can make a movie somehow. And what should we make it about? And uh, we went through millions of different permutations. And uh, somehow this movie came out of it. And uh, tell us about who stars in the film and uh, what part you play. I play a character named Larry who is a pretty disturbed gentleman. <laughs> and uh, he's, he's disturbed about a lot of things, but he's really disturbed about his inability to connect with his daughter. Can you guys tell me a little bit about your relationship working together as co-directors and how that kind of, how you work together? Doug and I, were, I've been friends for quite a number of years. Um, we actually met because our children went to the same first grade. <laughs> and so, uh, and then we discovered we were both, I knew he was in film and he discovered I was in film. And uh, so we've made other things, some short films together. I mean, it was a, it's a, a great relationship, actually. Uh, the, I, I would say uh, one of the best collaborative relationships I've ever had. It's very, we somehow, uh, we're alike enough and different enough that we're alike enough that we agree on what's good <laughs> and we're different enough that we have different ways of getting to it. Yes, yeah, so, I, yeah. I agree 100%. So was he kind of directing you and monitoring your performance while you were on screen? Somewhat, yeah. I mean, when he noticed things that uh, I could uh, do differently, he would mention that. I would say overall for the film that, you know, Doug is a great actor and he's, he's frankly more attuned to acting than I am. So I, I think... Uh, it was more like Doug was monitoring himself and the other actors. Occasionally, I had something to say about it, but uh, I think uh, you know, Doug was pretty on top of the acting side of it. Yeah. So, did you guys film during COVID? We did. So, how was that? Like, what were the challenges of doing that? It was. It's pretty interesting. In in some ways, we couldn't have made this movie if it wasn't for COVID, because it was a very very small crew, and uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. I think that's safe to say. But the, what COVID gave us, you know, the, the famous formula is time equals money. So we didn't have money, but we had a lot of time. <laughs> and, um, and I think that's why the film turned out as good as it did. We, it, we shot it over a year, so we would shoot for a weekend. We would edit the scene and look at it, talk about it, you know, shoot. And, uh, and, we, and we had a lot of talent because there were a lot of people who weren't working and were looking to do stuff. So in some ways, because of COVID, we were able to make the film. That's true. Were you guys ever worried about, you know, uh, being shot at that time that maybe you're seeing people in masks and it might date the film and, and lock it into that time period? Yeah, I was concerned about that. But, it's, but every now and then I walk around and see a person with a mask and I go, OK, well, this and we use it spar sparingly. You know, it's not like everybody has a mask. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not concerned about it. And, I, and from my perspective, I don't mind it um, personally. I'm okay with it being sort of placed in the time that it's placed because it's a movie about that. That time. That time, you yeah. know. So I'm fine with it being, uh, if someone looks at it and goes, oh my God, that's like, you know, 2021. <laughs> fine. You know, that's what, you know, that's what the movie is, you know. Yes. How do you feel audiences will react and kind of what impact do you want the film to have? I hope people will be entertained because there, there is a lot of comedy in the, in the movie. And uh, I hope that they uh, walk away being uh, moved by its, uh, if I could say, message, uh, moved as well. You know, without giving anything away, I guess you could probably guess if it's about COVID in 2021, there are some dark themes there. 
but uh, we have. I, I think the movie is hopeful, and and yeah. I think that people will walk away hopefully hopeful, and uh, maybe even if we're really lucky, maybe even with uh, an idea of how to uh, heal themselves and sort of move forward with some of the issues they're dealing with. I mean, mm -hmm. that's asking a lot from a little movie, but uh, <laughs> that was kind of where we were going with it. Here with Isha Blanker from Run the World. Isha, how does it feel to be here in Harlem tonight? I'm always here in Harlem. I, I live in Harlem. <laughs> so you just had to roll roll out of bed and come here. I had a very nice car ride. It lasted about six minutes. Yes. Tell us about your role in the film. I play Philip Houston. I'm a British banker who is here. Um, in the show because I am uh, Whitney's uh, old college rival and I'm here for some sparks, some conflict and a little bit more of a rivalry. You're the adversary in the, so do you often get cast as villains? No, actually not. I try to add that a little bit every time I play, especially if I play the nice guy. So I think that's, um, yeah, that's, that's something, you know, you always want to play it the opposite of how it's written, is at least how I set out to do it. What can we uh, look to expect from your character this season? I challenge what has already been done. And uh, hopefully uh, I can pull it a bit my way. Great. For people who want to know more about you and your work, where can we find you online? Isha Blocker, my Instagram. Uh, you can look me up, my MDB. Uh, I have a movie with Ava DuVernay coming out in the fall. Uh, that's probably the best way to uh, place to look for me. I'm here with Sacha Hutchings, who stars in Run the World. Sacha, how does it feel to be here in Harlem? It feels fantastic to be here in Harlem. It is my home. I've lived here for years, and it's my favorite place to be. So not much of a trip for you. No, I'm right around the corner. <laughs> All right, so tell us about your role. I play Hope. Uh, she is the best friend of Whitney Green, and she comes in whenever Whitney needs a little love, a little guidance, and maybe a little kick in the ass. You first see me last season. I come in for her bachelorette party. I bring a kooky time. I plan not the best bachelorette party, but end up really good friends with the girls after. And um, you catch me this season in some key episodes, having a lot of fun growing with the ladies. And um, as always, showing up for Whitney when she needs me. So can you tell us any secrets that might happen uh, coming up in season two? You know, there's so much going on, as is always when you are a young woman growing up in Harlem. Uh, it's a crazy place to grow up, but it's a wonderful place to be. And I think the ladies, you see them stepping into their own, making some tough decisions about their lives, their commitments, and what direction they're heading. Um, something that happens in your 30s. And I think for my character, Hope, being able to come in and with her own sort of new discoveries and growth and changes, it's really a testament to um, what it means to grow and change with friends. And for people who want to know more about you and find you online, where can they find you? You can find me at Sasha Hutchings on all platforms. We're talking Instagram. We're talking TikTok. We're talking Twitter, okay? I'm out here at Sasha Hutchings. I'm here with Amber Stevens-West, Brisha Webb, and Corbin Reed, the cast of Run the World. Welcome to Harlem, guys. Hi, thank you, thank you for you. having us. Excited to be here. Tell me a little bit about your part and what you guys expect to do this season. So yeah, we're season two of Run the World. I play Whitney Green on the show, and she's kind of the uh, straight-A student 
type personality. And uh, we left with the cliffhanger in season one um, that she had cheated on her fiance. And it's a will they, won't they make this work because she finally told him the truth. And we're not sure if he's going to forgive her. So the second season is a lot of her journey of figuring out why she blew up her whole life and uh, trying to figure out how to get back on her two feet again and stand tall. And she leans on her girlfriends a lot. That's where we're at. And Brisha, what happens with your character this season? Renee Ross, she left season one with a lot of things just up in the air. She quit her job, she left her husband, and she's starting a new agency on her own. And she's never been an entrepreneur before, and so she's embarking on that, a little shaky about it as well, but she's going full force ahead. She's the wild card of the group, the comedic <laughs> relief sometimes at her own <laughs> discretion. But, you know, she's learning a lot about herself and being selfish at the same time and learning how to love again and learning how to fall back and as, also, and as always, lean on her best girlfriends. And Corbin, what about you? What can we expect to see in season two? I am Corbin. I play Sandy. And my character in season two is dealing with some residual conflict that is left unattended to at the end of season one, which is that she feels taken for granted and is also standing in the shadow of her both boyfriend and thesis advisor. So she's mixing work with pleasure and it's causing some issues and she's trying to decide what direction she wants to go in, not only in her relationship, but in her career. And she makes some bold moves this season and goes in an entire different direction and she's you know she's really dealing with her wants and needs and unapologetically doing it with the help of her beautiful girlfriends and this enviable friendship that we have in Harlem on Run the World. What's the biggest difference between the first season and this season coming out? You get to learn more about the characters. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the first season was about just setting it up. Just setting it up about best friends, dealing with situations. We all seem like we have it all together. But, you know, at the surface, we are still figuring our lives out. And now we get to know why and the little things behind who we are. And I think that's going to be really great for the fans to know a little bit of the questions that they had first season. We right. answer all learn a little them. bit more about the backstory yeah. of the characters. Absolutely. Like go back home, meet some parents, yeah. learn about those conflicts. We know the why as to why we're in the situations and who we are. We also have better fashion, better jokes, better settings, ooh, you know ooh, what I mean? Ooh. More drama. We are coming to you with just uh, everything is elevated. More hairstyles, yes. more laughs. You guys are going to love season two. It really is worth the wait. Who is the audience for the show and like, what's the feeling that you guys convey to them? What's the central message that you guys you feel you impart to the audience? We celebrate black women. Everything about black women. We're all different types of black women, but we celebrate black beauty, black excellence, just women in general. And I think the audience is everyone. You know, we never, you know, look at friends and other shows on television like this is a white show or you know what it is, you know, but we celebrate everyone and everyone should be on our show, but specifically for us, we we love black women. We are black women and we celebrate who we are as black women, our ideas, our ideals, the way we wear our hair, the way that we, our elegance, everything about us, the way we honor who we are and where we come from and who that makes us to be. It's an honor to be on this show for all of us because we are all different reflections of black women. And that's why I think it's for everyone.
And that's all from this year's Harlem International Film Festival. For more of our content, be sure to visit our website, norestoftheweekendpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube, youtube.com slash getbehindtherabbit. I'd like to thank everyone who came out to talk to us tonight and our sponsor, JMR Rentals. For Behind the Rabbit Productions, I'm Jason Godby. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.